Hey everybody, it's Dave. Before this thing gets started, I just want to say, it's been a year. One year since the first podcast of I've Known You Too Long launched the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network on nobodysknows.com. So I wanted to say thank you to everyone for listening for the last year, everybody who's dug the show, who's given me feedback. I appreciate it so much. It's been so great. Uh, you know, I made some little commemorative pin sets, just 50 pin sets. It's got three one-inch lapel pins. It's got Nobody's Knows logo, I've Known You Too Long logo, and the Token Asian logo. They're up in the store for five bucks. If you want to support the show, uh, you might consider buying a pin set. Now, I'm not going to make a bunch of money on these pin sets. By the time I make them and ship them to you, uh, there's just a little bit left over. But if I sell all 50 of them, it'll cover a few months of the cost of hosting the podcast. And that will be cool. But also, it just gave me something to do that was hands-on where I got to create something. And I've kind of missed that since I stopped doing the record label. So go to the store on nobodysknows.com. Check them out. They just went up today, although that will mean nothing when you hear this unless you actually hear it today, the day that I'm saying this. Anyway, whatever. Please do go take a look at those, though. And thanks for everything. Let's get into this episode. Here we go. Welcome back to I've Known You Too Long. My guest today is someone who started this show. He was on the very first episode of I've Known You Too Long. And then he showed up like six months later to do a check-in catch-up episode. And I guess we're going to keep doing that. We're going to follow along with this process because he's back today to do another check-in. It's Greg Benick. I've still known you too long. I've still, I've known you too longer. <laughs> I've known you too longer. It's kind of like YOLO forever. I've known you too longer. <laughs> Wait, YOLO forever? Yeah, you're only young once forever. <laughs> That's like vampires. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, this is February 15th. We're recording this on February 15th. I have no idea what day it'll actually make it onto the site yeah. as soon as possible. <laughs> I'm still stuck on YOLO. But, and I said you're only young <laughs> ones, but you only live once. You only live once forever. I've known you too longer. Okay, yes. Okay. It's the 15th. The very first episode was posted on Nobody's Nose. Like when I actually had it set up where it would go through iTunes and you could get the show online mm -hmm. on February 16th, 2015. Really? So this is like a, a year anniversary? Yes. That's so cool. Now you had been up on the, our show had been up on YouTube prior to that while I was still figuring out all the, all the technical stuff. I remember stuff, that. But, yeah. You know, that's like pre-order stuff. It is like pre-order or whatever. Advanced, so cool. advanced viewing. I'm so, I'm so excited for you because so many people listen to and enjoy and like your podcast and they talk about, you know, the, I've, uh, people have talked to me about my episode, but they've definitely talked to me about your podcast and about other episodes that they've liked. And people were excited about different guests and whatnot. And the fact that you're doing it, it's very cool. You were doing this to me in the first episode. Stop being nice. Well, here's the thing. I'm <laughs> often not nice to you, Dave. <laughs> I've spent a considerable amount of time deliberately telling people around the world that you must die and giving them many suggestions for how that can happen. It's confusing to people. <laughs> <laughs> Especially people for whom English isn't their primary language. Like when I'm in the Czech Republic or Hungary and I'm telling people about this person named Dave Larson who has to die by spear, they just don't fully understand. Look, if some, <laughs> some whack job Eastern Bloc... <laughs> 
<laughs> you are the Larson of Dave. Exactly. I am here. It's going to be like Terminator. Exactly. He's gonna. They're going to show up in the Seattle area. They're going to get a phone book. They'll find one. Yep. And they're going to go through the pages and they're going to get to the, the Larson section and there'll be 12 of us. Yep. And so they'll just go down and it's America. So they'll just go to a gun shop and buy right all over the counter like Schwarzenegger does in Terminator. And they'll just go down executing all the Dave Larsons. Dave Larson, I'll be back once forever. <laughs> I'll be back once forever. Oh god. Okay, so we're going to we're going to try this isn't going to be a full feature length episode, but we are going to try to do a mix of serious and fun. Like I definitely want it to cover both bases and it's usually not hard with you. Okay. Um so not 100% sure where to start. So I will just start with where were you tonight? Where did you come from? I was emceeing the Pacific Northwest chapter of the Grammy Awards, their live telecast broadcast from LA as the Grammy Awards are, but it was broadcast to the Experience Music Project, to the Sky Church venue at the Experience Music Project, and all the members of the Pacific Northwest chapter were there to watch the Grammys. And I was emceeing this telecast. So I was you know, just talking to people about the Grammys and just facilitating the evening as it went on. As you we were like getting up and announcing what was going to happen next. Kind of. Yeah. That kind of thing. And then, you know, giving away some prizes and things like that just for the people who were there. But so, you weren't juggling. God, no, 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 <laughs> no, there's been, there's been, there's been a, a fundamental mental shift away from juggling in the past year, most certainly. Um, and that doesn't mean I don't juggle. I find it entertaining and enjoyable as kind of an art, but there's definitely been a shift away from Greg Bennick juggler to Greg Bennick other things in the last year. Okay. Well, this sounds a little more serious, so we'll, we'll, we'll stay in the serious for the first part of the episode. And I like that you equate juggling with seriousness. This no, is... it was the stepping away from the juggling Got and it. you're doing an MC job for the right, experience the, music project exactly. for the Grammys. Right. You're dressed up. I mean, people you look can't, real nice. Thank you very much. People can't see that I'm wearing nice shoes and skinny jeans and I'm, I'm, I'm fashionable. You know, I'm a fashionable <laughs> guy sometimes, Dave. <laughs> This is like Northwest dressed up. This is how you would do an event, a high paid event uh, this in, is, in Seattle. This is me being very, very fashionable and highly dressed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what are the reasons that you've moved away from? You know, there's a couple things, you know, on a basic, real basic level, I had a very serious hand injury last October. I definitely I, want to talk about, is it October? Yeah, it was October 2nd. Yeah, October. I had 2nd. no idea it was that far back. Yeah, so October second, my uh, my hands were severely lacerated by broken glass, and that of course brought an immediate and abrupt end to all things hand related. No, no, this was right before you guys were going to play a show at Gilman with Burn. Yeah, this was this gonna was going to be Trials' last U.S. US show. show. Exactly. So it was literally a week beforehand, and after the injury, I and I was in a cast from fingertip to elbow for months, and I went in. Uh, to the hand surgeon and it was I was so hopeful and I said listen my band has this show in six days and it's kind of crazy and punk rock style and is there any chance that I'd be able to play this the look on his face was like you are the dumbest 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 person for even asking such a dumb dumb stupid dumb question and I just okay talking. so so he, you didn't know how badly you were hurt I, I well I knew because you know I had lost all mobility basically in my hand and and quite a bit of sensation because of some um, uh, some nerve uh, some nerve injury that happened I knew that it was bad I mean I was seeing you know you know I, I knew it was bad but I wanted to hold on to hope that, you know, you see, you know, I remember we played with By the Grace of God in Florida and, you know, I, I remember seeing Circle Jerks, both of whom had singers with 
really serious injuries, a separated shoulder and a broken leg and still play the show. I wanted to be that guy. And yeah. the hand surgeon was like, not a chance in the world. No one can touch your hand. No one can come near your hand. No one can do anything relating to your hand. No. And I was like, okay. So yeah, so it was a bummer. It was definitely a bummer. But you know, in terms of on a personal level, it meant me not juggling for a while as I, ha I was doing constant physical therapy once the cast came off. But that really triggered something in me. And I'll tell you just very briefly what happened. You know, years ago when I was only juggling and I decided I wanted to be a speaker, it was really because one too many people said, you know, you're a really good speaker. And finally, one too many people said that. And I was like, okay. And I started to brand myself as a keynote speaker and going out and doing these keynote speaking gigs. Well, in the past bunch of months, one too many people, and there have been many, have said, you know, I don't really think of you as a juggler. Like, what's with the juggling? Like, you do so many things. Like, I would never describe you as a juggler. One too many people said that. And finally, I just one day listened. And I thought, yeah, the juggling is fun and quirky. And it's a way to hook people, you know, with, uh, you know, of, of interest at times. And I don't want to give it up. You know, it's all based on, you know, what my hand can and can't do. But Still, it just made me think like, you know, there's so many more things I want to be doing, writing books, speaking, training people about how to communicate more effectively and, and you know, just writing lyrics and just doing other things that well, I are think, unjuggling related. I think people that know you know that you could, I mean, if you lost your arms, you would still, you would find a way to do something and be effective. See, I, I think I appreciate that. And there was, there was a moment where my friend. But are you the only person that doesn't know that? Um, there is a, a little note. There's notes all over and where I, I have a standing desk, right? So I'm at my laptop at a standing desk. The wall is covered with notes. All the walls of my loft covered with notes and little things that people have said. And one of the things smack right in the middle. I was on the phone with my mom about two years ago and I was telling her about all these things that were happening and between earth and sky this and podcast that and travel this and spoken word that. And I got to the end of what I said and she said to me, Gregory, the shame of all this is that you doubt yourself. Because she hears from me all the time. My mom and I are very close. And she hears from me all the time, me going, yeah, I don't know. God, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about doing this thing. I'm not sure if it's going to work. And she hears that from me often without me even realizing that I'm doubting myself. And her comment, the shame of all this is that you doubt yourself. I wrote that and stuck it right in the middle of the wall so as to remind myself in moments of self-doubt or in moments of like, yeah, but I've been juggling since I was 13. I need this thing. I can't possibly give it up the way people think. I can't possibly give up my job. I can't possibly give up this shitty relationship. I can't possibly make any substantive change in my life. All those doubts, whenever they're in my head, I look on the wall. The shame of all this is that you doubt yourself. And I just think this is an unnecessary thing for me to hold on to this doubt like it's a lifeline. So when one too many people said what they said about juggling, I just totally reframed the whole shenanigans in my mind. And, um, I, you know, I contacted somebody who has redesigned gregbennick.com and it's not online yet. I mean, it's still the old website now, but the new gregbennick.com won't have even a moment of juggling, no mention of it, uh, at no. all. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's like, that's not, that's not what I want to leave the world. I don't want to leave the world the greatest juggler who's ever lived. And then you just got to hope it's not like when you go see the band and then they only play stuff off their new album. Well, and here's the thing. It doesn't mean that if I, you know, Anybody going to gregbennick.com looking for me is looking for either their friend or their contemporary or their peer, Greg Bennick. Anyone who's going to my website looking for the juggler, they can go find that from a speaker's bureau somewhere. They can inquire at their local speaker's bureau. Hey, can you get this guy, Greg Bennick? The bureau will call me. Hey, still doing the juggling thing? Fine. But anyone who's a peer and a contemporary and a friend, 
I don't want them to go to the site and see juggling. I want them to go to the site and see humanitarian work and, and me working on like authoring a book on something that's going to, you know, be substantial and transform people. And, you know, 100 for Haiti and spoken word. That's who I am. Like the juggling is something that I do. You know, you're not going to say, oh, yeah, my friend Greg Bennick, like he's this Rubik's Cube chess playing coin collector. Let me tell you. Who gives a crap? It's like these are like hobbies, you know? <laughs> these are hobbies. Like you but, are, but the, juggler has been more than a hobby. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Lots of people in the world when they refer to you amongst friends, they say, "Oh, the juggler." That that is mostly people who are around early to mid 90s, admittedly. Sure, yeah, yes. but lots of people know that I juggle, and that's fine. I just don't want that to be the identity that I hang my hat on to my grave. It's just I've been holding on to it realistically because I'm scared to give it up for fear of what might come next. Hmm. And isn't that ultimately, I mean, that's a problem that's been around forever. And some listener will gladly, hopefully correct me on this. But, you know, when Nietzsche said God is dead, I've always taken that as a message that or a question. Like if God was to be dead, what do we do then? With what do we fill the space created when the one thing we hold on to more than any other dies? What happens then? So Nietzsche's question was, wasn't, you know, what do we do without religion? But what do you do in the space created by the lack of religion? So what does Greg Bennett what if, do? What if the world doesn't end when the prediction promises it's going to? What, what, what if do the do? year 2000 goes by? What do you do? And we're still here. Yep. So the, my question to myself is, what does Greg Bennett do when the one thing he's held on to as this center point of his identity, this juggling thing that he's been doing since age 12, what happens when I put that totally aside? What does Greg Bennett continue to exist? Does he not? Like, why am I referring to myself in the third person? It's These are major questions. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the point, right? And I think that's a valid question for any of us. You know, why do we, why do we hold on to our stress? What happens when we let go of our stress? You know, can we continue on in the void created by lack of stress or lack of pain or lack of painful memory that we've held on to? Can we continue? And what does our life look like? That's a far more fascinating question for me than, oh, where will I juggle next? That is the least interesting possible question I could be asking when all these other opportunities for, for new and exciting questions that are, have unsure answers are before me. And it's just basically just a bonus that you kept your fingers on. <laughs> I guess that's one way, of, one way of looking at it. Yeah. So yeah, I do have all my fingers and, uh, you know, have developed a new outlook on life and, uh, there you go. Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the dead guy. <laughs> I guess, you know, what do you do? Right. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do? It's just, it's all metaphors all the way around. Like, you know, all of religion, it blows my mind recently. The more I think about it, the more it blows my mind. Just Wait, okay. So that's, that's interesting. Are you saying it blows your mind because you're, you're considering it with new eyes? You're considering religion from a new point of view? I'll tell you this. No, but, uh, after my injury, when I started thinking about, you know, what would it have taken to take me out of the game? Okay. When I say severe lacerations to my hand without going into excruciating detail, there's no denying that my hand was very severely damaged. So people with severe damages from cut glass sometimes bleed to death. I didn't, you know, both my hands had the potential for equal damage, yet my left hand, my dominant hand was unaffected. Like that to me blows my mind, right? There are things about my injury I don't want to get into that if they were just slightly different could have been catastrophically worse. And it was the first time in my life that I ever said, A, I don't believe in, I don't believe in God or religion. That's just a thing. But I understand why people believe in miracles. I understand why they do. 
you know, even though I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's because the, you know, divine God of beauty shone down on me on a Wednesday, like, or some ridiculousness, but it was the first time I ever went, whoa, I get why people make that jump, right? Right. So in terms of contemplating religion, no, I'm not contemplating, um, you know, becoming religious, but just in, just thinking about religion in new ways, like it suddenly becomes very obvious to me why somebody in the face of something catastrophic would make the jump to something soothing, like a miracle. Oh, it's a miracle. You know, or just thinking about, you know, just thinking about uh, Christianity or thinking about the history of, of, of different religions and whatnot. And, and starting to wonder what do these stories and these images represent to people historically, put yourself in that time. What do these stories represent to people who were around 2000 years ago? It's just, you know, in the theater, you know, it's and called, then, and then why should they be the basis for our law? Why, now? Sh why should they be? And it's, you know, in the theater, Oh, well, you said it different than I did. No, I know. I know. But you, you, you're <laughs> onto it, but it's like in the theater, it's, 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 it's dramaturgy, right? So like why this play at this time for this audience in this city, in this theater, you ask these questions and then the director can take that information and say, oh, that's why we're doing Romeo and Juliet in 2016. It makes sense now that this dramaturgical analysis has been done, right? So that's kind of what I've been doing, uh, you know, with, with thinking about, you know, religion or thinking about my life, but more thinking about the religion, like why the story of a guy nailed to a vertical and horizontal piece of wood 2000 years ago, what did that signify at the time to these people who were trying to explain the trauma and terror of their own lives? Uh, it just, yeah, I trying to wrap my head around some of that stuff sometimes because I've been thinking about my reality in a totally new way because of the change to my physical self. I mean, my, my injury was severe enough that literally the structure of my hand changed. And this, so, this is new stuff that never occurred to you throughout all the stuff that you did with producing flight from death. And, and it just, it, it's it, just a different perspective, different on, perspective it? on it, different perspective. Like for, for example, like there was, there was a night where I walked out of, um, uh, an emerge, I went to the emergency room multiple times after the injury for, for different, different things, uh, infections and just complications and awfulness. And there was one night where I walked out of the emergency room and I heard church bells and I thought that's of interest. You know, I'm going to go follow the sound and see where it goes. So I walked across Capitol Hill and there was a church that was having uh, an event and there was church bells ringing and there's all these people walking into the church. And I thought, you know what? I have nothing else to do. I've just gotten out of the emergency room. I'm out of my mind right now with like surgical, medical, bright lights, people screaming craziness. I'm going to walk into this church and see what happens. Okay. So I walk in the church. I sit down in one of the pews. I'm by myself. There's people around and there's a service going on and as people around me start singing and they start, you know, this, the praying and the whole deal, I'm looking at it as an outsider in their world. But what struck me all of a sudden, as we were just talking about a few moments ago, was that these songs had a transcendent quality. You listen to the songs and you feel like you feel mentally elevated. And I thought, this is the manifestation of people who are suffering and how they transcend. They create these songs, they engage in these songs, they sing these songs, and all of a sudden, they get a sense that they are transcendent or elevated above their pain. But Greg, you've seen that before. 100% all the time, all the time. But never had I sat in a religious service and thought to myself, this is exactly what this is, right? This is why this exists. We all go to the same place as people. 
You, well, I mean, as humans, let's. I mean, we could look at any hardcore show, right? Any That's exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Like the hardcore show, it's like what is more transcendent than literally jumping into the air above the crowd and not hitting the ground? Like that's a fucking metaphor. So <laughs> it's a know, miracle. It's, it's a goddamn miracle. So <laughs> you jump into the air and you don't hit the ground. Like this is like. You know, this is the stuff of legend. You know, this is the stuff of legend. I mean, like, you know, it, it, there's it, when I was a teenager, I remember I was part and I'm now going off on a freaking tangent, but I was a part oh, of this. Well, we allow that. I was part of this group that met that studied um, spirituality and femininity. It was me at age 17 and all of these 40 and 50 year olds who were met at this like new age center when I was in high school. And we used to talk about menstruation. We used to talk about uh, just, you know, the the gender roles and all of this, all this stuff. Stuff that 17 year olds are usually bypassing in order to drink beer and, and get crazy. And uh, I just I remember having these conversations with with these with these women in, in, in the group about the, the metaphor of menstruation, what it signifies and trying to understand from them the significance. Right. And, and it, I remember listening to this one woman saying, like, you know, the nature of a creature who can repeatedly bleed and not die destroys men like absolutely destroys men meaning men cannot fathom on a fundamental level the nature of a creature who bleeds repeatedly and does not right die. because that's also a sexist joke 100 from one, the other perspective 100 percent. but let's aside from like sexist jokes and, and bullshit like the fundamental creaturely level of man as non-experiencer of that looks at that and goes that's impossible that makes no sense right so all of a sudden this this you know you go you start going through your life thinking like holy shit like this is this event that is happening has such deeper meaning to me because i don't understand it i will never fully understand it i'm not part of it as it is right yet i you, all of a sudden you get this bit of insight and you're like oh my god this is so much deeper and means so much more on a fundamental level than just oh it's a period get over it right it's so much deeper and more intense than that same deal with the church experience. I walk into that church and I'm like, on one level, it's a bunch of people in robes and white shit and they're dancing around and they're holding gold things and they're spinning the smoking thing and they're singing. But that's not what they're doing. They're trying to transcend their pain in any possible way. And all of a sudden I was like, I understand, even if I don't agree with this, this is a piece of theater to me. I understand why it exists. And same damn thing with hardcore. Like, God damn it. Like, you know, the idea that we jump off the stage again and again and don't hit the ground, that is transcendent, it is metaphorical, it is significant, that is in part why we're uplifted, that we scream and we come together and it, it's, it's it, like, honestly, I want to write this ethnographic exploration well, of hardcore at well, listen, this point. When you're <laughs> I'm at, not going to do it because it'd just be... When I you're at a capture. fantastic hardcore show, and for a lot of people, if you're a fan of Greg's band Trial, if you're at a really phenomenal trial show and things are just going... <laughs> you know, you've seen the photos, you know what I'm talking about, or if you've been at one of these shows, you know, there's a feeling there. You, you don't just walk down the street or go to work and then you, you can't just make that feeling happen. There has to be a collective group of people excited and expressing, and it's a vibration and it's an emotion and it's, you can't conjure it from nothing. I think unless you're an absolute crazy person. Right. There probably are people that feel that way all the time and it's probably makes their life unlivable. Yep. But in that moment, it's like this amazing cathartic thing. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I found the same thing with my injury, meaning that, you know, in the midst of this very temporal, like this is my physicality. It is inescapable that my hand connected to Greg connected to me is injured. 
that I found moments of transcendence amidst that, like ways that I was thinking about myself in an, in new ways or ways that I was appreciative of the slightest return to mobility or the slightest lessening of pain became this like transcendent place that I was entering. It was, it was honestly, I don't know how else to say it, but it was almost like it was like a spiritual experience between me and my hand as I, as I got my physicality back, reframing it in a new way. It just made me think about all these different things in, in, in new ways. Now, granted, like your question, is this the first time you've ever thought about this? Obviously not because we're at hardcore shows and it's not like we watch and go, oh, look, jumping girl. Oh, look, singing along guy. And right. that's as deep as it goes. It's but not it, like it's a constant analysis. It's not this a, is like this. Yeah. Although for me, sometimes it is. So meaning in you, life, you're, because I'm constantly, I've gotten to a point where I almost feel like most of my life is collecting experiences to then compare and contrast for writing or for okay i look i mean i look at everything as a potential source i i could totally understand that um totally and so that. so it's yeah i'll definitely you know my brain is always looking for the way to connect a to b and say this is like this this thing i don't understand now i maybe can understand it from another point of view because i can relate it to a thing in my own life or my own experience mm -hmm. i see that I, I i worry sometimes when i start to analyze too much that I'm losing my authenticity amidst the analysis. And what I mean is, you know, if you're analyzing the hardcore show so much for what it signifies, and I know I just got done like going off on a, you know, tangent on hardcore and what it signifies. But if you're analyzing it too much, it's almost like you're you're taking yourself out of the game. Like there was, yeah, there yeah. was the, the trial uh, tour in Europe in 2011. I wrote every day what I said on stage because the set was the same every day, but I challenged myself to say different things every day and have them be sincere. And I wrote it all down. I wanted to write a book and I might, who knows, called uh, uh, Incomplete, Damaged and Imperfect, 30 Days on the Road with Trial. And having it be, or forget trial, have it just 30 days on the road singing hardcore, whatever. Because my exploration was, how does my approach to the same idea change day after day? It does, it has to. If we did this interview 20 days in a row, we'd come up with different things. So why wouldn't the song, even though it's written with the same intention, mean something different to me based on the conditions of the day I was singing it? So I started writing all those things down. What was interesting was that there were some times where I was looking so hard to figure out what it was that was different that day or what I wanted to say differently that day that I lost my authenticity. I lost mm. my sincerity because I started thinking what's going to be the thing that has the effect in order to document the thing that I said that had the effect. How do I force myself to be different when you're not always different every day? You're not always different every day, but then a more authentic approach would be, you know, I'm feeling like I felt yesterday. That then is the thing to talk about rather than trying to create something new. So the reason I got to that based on what you said is, you know, you know, we, we have the potential, I think, to lose authenticity through overanalysis sometimes when we, we're trying so hard to see the event that's happening and what it signifies rather than just participating in the damn event. You know, I mean, right. I'm, I'm guilty of that all the time. So I, I, I'm both sides. I could have just walked into the church and been like, cool songs, bro. I'm out, you know, but instead I sat there thinking like, wow, what does this you know, mean? And it wasn't even thinking about it that led me to that realization. It was just, just kind of letting it happen, I guess. So go with the flow. So I guess what you're saying is you're not always different the same way every day forever. That's, that's ex YOLO. <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly right. What's the, what's the, what's the, what's the acronym there? You're not always different every day the in same the way same forever way forever yeah i mean and then and then yolo what's that y united it's with yolo united states 
Yeah, okay, you're it's not a little bit of a... It's with YOLO. You're not always different every day in the same way forever. I just YOLO. like to... I mean, just so people can kind of sum it up and understand what, what you're saying. You nailed it. You, when you, you, you're not when you were, it's if, it's if what, YOLO. When you were talking about, especially when you were talking about your hand there at the end, um, it made me think, well, this will be a perfect place to seg right into The Walking Dead. Dude. Which is what I was hoping to do. Dude. 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 Last night's episode of The we, Walking Dead. We have to say. No spoilers. Oh, no, no. We're going to spoil the fuck out of it. So just listen. If you haven't seen the season, the mid-season premiere of The Walking Dead that was on Valentine's Day 2016, spoiler alert, you're not safe from this point forward. And we're also going to talk about anything that's happened up to this point. So this is where you may well lose some some things. So I don't think there's any major spoilers that, that really would give anything away. Okay. But we need to be able to talk about it. That's okay. the thing. Because I think it's awesome because I love the episode show like this. You think the episode's awesome? Oh, no, I love the whole show. Me too. I, I think that the show is phenomenal. I think it's amazing that that's the number one show on television. Incredible. Not the number one show in a time slot nope, or on, on a network. The number one show on television is about zombies. Now, I had this conversation last week with, with Megan, with um, my girlfriend. Because she says that she would, she didn't want to watch Walking Dead. She wasn't had no interest in watching Walking Dead, and she said because it was just zombie culture, it's just zombies. Okay, and I had to explain to her. I'm like, The Walking Dead is the contemporary representation of the lineage of zombies that started with Romero, with Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and the movies that followed. Greg Nicotero, who was on his team on Day of the Dead doing makeup has now taken over from Tom Savini and it is his makeup and his makeup direction which has led to The Walking Dead existing. It's like, this is like the, the child or at the, the most distant way. But like the then you merge nephew. that visual stuff with the, the storytelling of the uh, the creator of, uh, what is his name? The creator meaning George Romero or the... No, the, the Walking Dead comic series that the show is based on. I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name. But come the, on, Robert... Uh, yeah. The guy. Forgive us. But yeah, so it's not, it's, it's like, it comes, it's like multiple people in the field kind of coming together perfectly. 100%. Like. It's, it's the, it's all the other stuff is the zombie culture silliness, pride and prejudice and zombie, blah, 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 blah. You know, this is the real deal. Like this is, this is it. But you are, you are involved in many very real things and you think constantly and talk about really lofty stuff. <laughs> That's arguably important for humans. Okay. okay. But you also love The Walking Dead. Love it. And it's important to you. Absolutely. And I don't think those things are disconnected. Absolutely not. And I think that's valuable. And Good, I think it's right. awesome because it's also, I get to also just have the joy of enjoying this thing with you. Yeah. Because that yeah. last night's episode was unreal. Unbelievable. Good. I didn't breathe for an hour. And, and the, some, yeah. sometimes that show's bad. Absolutely. Even when it's bad, I still like it. Me too. But when it's good like that. It's it, so good. Yeah. It, and they came right out of the gate, literally blowing me away. Like when they blew away those dudes in the beginning of the yeah, episode. I, I was so happy about it. So happy about it. And, you know, to your point, just as an aside, like I see a direct connection between loving The Walking Dead and thinking lofty thoughts because you know, you have to have both. You know, I mentioned before you know, why is it that, you know, why is it that people connect to the idea of a man nailed between a vertical piece of wood and a horizontal piece of wood? I might have mentioned this on the last podcast with you. I can't remember. But the whole idea of Between Earth and Sky, which is my other band, 
you know, is this, this idea of being crucified between a horizontal earth representing piece of wood and a vertical sky representing piece of wood. The entire image of Jesus on the cross is a metaphor for our existence. We are trapped between the earth, which is going to bury us, and the sky, which is our aspirations and inspirations and emotions that we, that we, that, you know, that, that form the foundation of our dreams and our desires. That is very, you know, elevatory, you know, it's vertical, the horizontal being the earth. We are literally crucified between earth and sky. That is a metaphor. It is a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Okay. That said, Thinking about lofty stuff all day long cannot just be the thing you do. You have to be grounded in reality and not to make a silly joke, but you can't just juggle all day long without stuff hitting the ground. So, you know, one of the projects... Oh, we allow silly jokes okay, good. on my podcast. <laughs> well, one of the projects I'm working on right now is I'm making a 15-minute short film about the last hours of Ernest Becker, cultural anthropologist who wrote about death and dying and our perspectives on it and the effect it has on us. When he was on his deathbed, uh, he recorded an interview with a man and it was recorded on cassettes. And I, in the last year, actually unearthed the original cassettes. I found the original cassettes of that interview. And in playing them for a filmmaker friend of mine in, in LA, we were just like, oh my God, like we, there has to be something done about this. Long story short, the film is going to be about how we live and how we die. And in 15 minutes, using the audio from these interview tapes, we're going to try to capture the essence of what we're supposed to be doing with our, our death and with our life. That's lofty. Okay. But it's also rooted in death. It's also rooted in death. So the walking dead, it's like, there's a part of it. Like we can, we can just say it's just a TV show. It's, it's a confrontation with ideas that we don't want to think about. We don't want to think about being dead. We don't want to be thinking about tearing somebody to pieces with our teeth and eating them because we're totally detached from the experience. And it's we brutal. are, we are emotionally connected to people who are constantly possibly going to die. And try lots of characters that have died that we've cared deeply yes. about. And now they even know the ones we really care about and they're toying with our emotions. I mean, how many times is Glenn going to get cornered by zombies? Because they are all trying to stay alive, which is what we are doing as well. Every single day. I tried to stay alive the whole way here. I pulled over to eat Pad Thai because I didn't want to eat and drive at the same time and die. I, you know, I don't you know, want to text and drive because I don't want to text, you know, and say, Dave, I'm almost there and die. We're constantly making choices in order to try to stay alive. We, this I is, think we do there's this all the something time. more to it, too. There's a fantasy life. Like there's a there's a fantasy because a lot of people who love zombie stuff kind of wish that they could have the experience themselves of being a, a, a zombie alive in a zombie world. We talk about it. I mean, <laughs> Because well, everybody has we, the what but, would you, know, you do. Yeah, what would you do? Yeah. But I think that what I was going to say was that we, meaning collective fans and friends of The Walking Dead, can talk about it. But, uh, you know, there are varying degrees. Like some people dream of it and they want it to be their reality. I love thinking about it, though. Like when I'm, But in, it simplifies life. Yeah, it, it does. It makes, it, in a way, it makes everything make more sense. It's just far more dangerous. Meaning if there was a, an apocalypse of zombies. Suddenly... If there was an apocalypse of zombies and you were surviving the way the people are in The Walking Dead. Let us surmise for one moment. Oh, yeah. A zombie apocalypse has occurred in the time we've been recording this podcast. Oh. And your partner barges through the door to devour us. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> well, let's just say that this is true because currently well, she's in the other room. She's yeah, on the I, I, I assume Michael Ann will live. Okay. But let's <laughs> let's assume that Michael Ann does not live yeah, because your next, door neighbor, your next door neighbor has chomped her leg. Okay. 
So she barges in. Mm -hmm. The question becomes, what do we do with what we've got here? Do we try to, you know, strangle her with the microphone cord or do I take her out with the botch CD? I'm not sure. Or do you have, oh, you've got a knife. How convenient. Is that? It works. Yeah. I'm glad you have that. Do you have that just in case Michael Ann comes in? No, this is just one of my various just in case knives that I always have. Great. So you've taken it to another level. Remember that day when someone dropped a knife in the pit when trial was playing and then you were like, someone dropped the knife. And then you were kind of like, who brought a knife to a hardcore show? Oh, yeah, and I was right. thinking, I'm sure glad that's not one of the two knives I have on me, because then Greg could be making fun of me. <laughs> it's not that. like having a gun at a hardcore show. No, but I not, do A knife that. is a tool. It is literally a sharp thing, which is what tool yeah. makers do as a basic initial yeah. thing to become a human, you know. Oh, boy. Uh, then we that's would good. Then we would uh, go into um, the <laughs> locked safe that is hidden in this room. Really? Uh, where we would retrieve my father's revolver that he gave me, uh, that he passed down to me. He's still alive, but he I was going to say, it. I was scared for a second. No, no. Well, he, he is still alive. And we would load that up. As I was saying, dear <laughs> listeners, we might talk about this experience, but some of us take it to different levels. This, none was, of this is planned, though. No, but I know. This here's the just... thing. I brought it up because I was just like, I saw this pile of CDs. It's the answer to see you broken botch. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be funny if I had to try to kill zombie Michael Ann with a pile of Northwest hardcore CDs? And you've got like fucking knives and guns within inches of us. Little you, do you know. This is why you have to die. This is why I tell kids all over Eastern Europe to find and kill Dave Larson. And, and I, maybe I shouldn't tell them that because you're well armed to defend yourself. We're not going to get my keys and dig out my safe and pull out my father's old revolver. <laughs> I'm going to swing this bass. Yeah, you've, now you've got a bass guitar in your hand, so you're going like, to take more, her out. Makes much more sense, you're right? take her out like the Doof Warrior in Mad Max. This is going to be tremendous. Well, of course. <laughs> we'll just... change the scenario. When the, when the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms kicks the door in 30 seconds from now, how will we defend ourselves listen, against them? That's listen, the big I'm question. Not, we won't. This isn't Oregon. <laughs> and by the way, the federal government can own land. Yeah, they, they, they can. <laughs> okay, all right. Man, that's a whole other shenanigans. Yeah, that's a, that, a whole other it, deal. It really is. Uh, no, th- yeah, I'm not going to. Also, I'm not a crazy gun nut. I'm not some gun guy. Have you ever? You see what I do on Facebook. You ever see me getting involved in a gun debate? Never. Good reason for that. Yep, never. Like, it's, it is. Some people have a whole different way of looking at it. Yeah. You are a very prolific and interesting Facebook poster. I learn <laughs> I learn a lot from, from reading your post. You make me think about things in new ways, things I normally wouldn't think about. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I'm wrong. Well, but that's okay, though. You've always got an opinion on, you know, Supreme but Court what, justice death or guns or whatever what I want is. is for someone smart, if they think I'm wrong, to tell me why in a way that will make me think maybe they're right. Okay, so that's that's the challenge, dear listeners. I think that that's an awesome approach to it's take. It's very rare. Well, yeah, because you speak very confidently and people, it's intimidating well, to people. Usually, if I'm going to put something out there, I've already tried to think of every argument against it. And that's the only reason I feel like putting it up, because I feel strongly, you know. Today, yeah. I wrote, Obama should appoint a yes, Supreme Court justice. Uh, he should do a recess appointment. Tell, tell, tell he, me, tell me what a recess appointment should, is. Okay, so. Obama has one year, as of right now, Obama has just under one year left in his term. Right. And and he was voted in three years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's actually the uh, the fourth year of his his four-year term. Right. Two two four-year terms, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not 
almost over. He's not lame duck like he's just leaving. Right. He's he, got a year left. He has a year left. The Republicans in the Senate who control the Senate and can control whether or not they're going to vote to confirm a judge that he that he nominates have said we will not vote for his nomination. Right. We because we believe that we should have the election which is going to occur the end of this year. Right. We we believe we should have the election and let the new president do it. And then they started pretending that there's precedent for that and there really isn't. Okay. There's certainly not they said it was common practice. It's that's not true. Anyway, since these people actually can do this, and by the way, some of the people who are in the Senate who are expressing this opinion are running for president right. on, for the, on okay. the Republican side. Mm -hmm. So yes, they have a political, like they can use their power in the Senate to bolster their campaign to get, it's just, it's all seems like bullshit to me, right. but they have said they will not approve his nominee, right. even though the constitution says he can nominate and they should approve him, approve the, the justice right. or, or vote them down. And he's got a great list of candidates some of which have already been unanimously approved by both Republicans and Democrats to the, the seats that they have now. Okay. They would just be moving up to another judge position. Right. Supreme Court. So Scalia died one day after the Senate went into recess. Okay. The Senate's going into recess for 10 days. Prior to this, when the Republicans control the Senate, instead of going into recess, when they knew that he had appointments that he wanted to make that they didn't want to allow him. They did this weird thing where they left like one person back in the Senate to do business so that the Senate never went into recess. And then he said, the Senate is in recess. You can't just do this one person thing. So he made recess appointments when the Senate wasn't actually in recess and his administration lost that case at the Supreme Court. I don't know the name of the case, but I know that did happen. Okay. Now, they didn't know Scalia was going to die. And there was no one hanging over their heads for him to appoint. So they went into real recess. And then one day later, this last Saturday, Scalia dies. Now, the Senate comes back into session on the 22nd of February. They have said they will not vote to approve his nominee. He could make a recess appointment before Monday the 22nd. And that justice would serve the rest of this term. Really? Yes. How do you, how did you figure that out? I read a lot about it. It's amazing. Like I, the Grammy thing was cool that I emceed tonight. Other than that, I think my greatest achievement of the day was I ate like three orders of pod thai. Like that's <laughs> that was my that was my big thing today. I ate two for lunch at Araya's buffet, and then I went to Tup Tim Thai and got pod thai for dinner because I was super stoked on pod thai and. Halfway through the day, I was like, oh, I'm so glad my parents got me that gift certificate for Araya's. And all day I thought about <laughs> pod thai. And you just basically reframed the, the judicial system of America for the next year. Now, I'm not 100% right about stuff. I read this stuff. I believed what I read. It seemed to be coming from good sources. Uh, I tried to back it up. I go to like the SCOTUS blog. I go uh -huh. to all these different things. Sure. I, you know, I try to, I don't just listen to Glenn Beck and believe it or, you know. Sure. So, but here's the thing. So he does that, right? Uh -huh. Well, they can still challenge him and sue him and it could still go to the Supreme Court that he couldn't do that recess appointment. They could impeach him for it. Okay. So, so all of these things would probably be in play. They right. could say it's just more Obama tyranny. Right. Whatever. Of That's, that was what I he was wants to make us have to have a judge that we all already approved of. And we have stated that it's a political reason that we won't vote for his thing. And he took us at our word and did what he could legally do. See, that's the thing. They're going to do what they can legally do to block him. So he should do what he can legally do 
to get around that. Fair enough. That was going to be my question was, is the reason that he wouldn't do it because he fears impeachment or because is there something, is there any sort of law or any anything that prevents a recess appointment of a Supreme Court judge? That's not like, like a recess appointment of, you know, a, a substitute history teacher. This is significant. It's been done before. When's it been done before? In history. So you're going to cite like in 1832, President Andrew Jackson elected Zachariah Zebediah to the Supreme Court in a recess appointment? Are you really going to pull something like that out of the air? Hold on a second. All right, we're back in. I'm not going to waste a lot of time. I can't find quick everything right now that I can find on a quick Google search is about this current situation. So your question was, have presidents in the past done recess appointments of Supreme, Supreme Court, Court justices? Justices. justices. I know that they have. I just don't know when. You're right. It could be 1800 something. But still, I had no idea. I mean, that's amazing. I was I, reading about it. The funny thing is, is before I put that thing up this morning on Facebook, I did read about a, an instance. I just can't remember the exact one. Okay. Well, it's still. But here's the thing, though. It's, it's something that can be done. And when you've got people that won't do the business of the country for politics... Like it's when they were going to comp- shut down the government a few years ago. No, when they sure. did. When they did shut down the government a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, the front run, one of the front runners for the nomination for Republican for president right now is the jerk that did that. Yeah, anyway. Oh, anyway, hey. Hey, hey, <laughs> buddy. So hey, we were talking about buddy. zombies. Yeah, we Speaking were. Speaking of Republicans, let's talk about, you know, worthless, rotting husks of people. The Walking Dead was the greatest episode in the history of any television so what was the moment in the new episode that that did it for you emotionally what was the best emotional moment i think or worst emotional moment okay i think that there were a couple can i answer with a couple yeah i think that blowing up the biker gang at the beginning was such a shock i I went like what the hell just happened like i thought for a second that the walking dead was playing a trick on us Mm -hmm. and they were going to cut to a commercial and say just kidding here's the real start of the episode because it was so intense (laughs) and so like just so intense to open an episode like that because we're expecting a character to die, and instead it's like, no. Nope. We think one of our main characters is going to die. I kept thinking a bullet was going to hit the guy who was pointing the gun at them. Because the way they were doing it is they were, I feel like they were misdirecting us in other ways. No one expected total destruction of a rocket hitting him and blowing him to pieces. And what I was bummed about, as he's, you know, saying, you know, the biker gang leader is like, we're going to, you know, have you take us back to where you hang your hat and all this stuff. I'm like, ah, here we go. It's like terminus on wheels. Here we go again. Here we go again. I actually was, I was thinking I am going to hate this storyline. This season. The whole season. And then they just blew everyone to pieces. Fear out of the water. Everyone got blown to pieces. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that was a moment where I was like, Oh, also, and and let's also just say, like, Daryl being such an amazing character, did he cut you? And what was Daryl's answer? A little. A little. Exactly. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, so I think the moment that that did it for me was um, seeing the, you know, the scared little boy who closed out, you know, mid season, you know, a couple months back. succumbing like you know just getting getting eaten right that that to me when the when the episode opened i was hoping to be still in the state of terror i was in as the little boy at the mid-season break was going mommy mommy i spent the last few months going what's going to happen and they went away from that and i tricked you into thinking he pulled it together right and i was bummed and then they blow up the biker gang and I'm like, oh man, all bets are off now. All bets are <laughs> off. And then the little kid has this freak out because he remembers Carol saying the monsters are going to come and they're going to kill you and they're going to eat you. And he has this freak out. And I was like, 
oh my God, if the kid pulls it together in the midst of the freak out and finds his inner strength and it's going to be this heartwarming tale of who gives a shit, but instead he gets his face torn off and I'm like, oh my God. Not only that, if you go back and listen to what Carol told him, she predicted what was going to happen. Exactly what happened. She told that kid how he was going to be killed by zombies. It was, it was unbelievable that it actually happened. And then his, his mom as well. I'm just like, and then Carl with the bullet in the eye, I'm just like, what is happening? Yeah. Carl catches a bullet in the eye, which a lot of people were waiting for because they read the comics. Okay. See, and the thing is, I've not read the comics intentionally. I did the same thing. I haven't read the comics. I just keep hearing people say what's supposed to happen because of the comics. Yeah. And I did the same thing with Lord of the Rings because I'd never read Lord of the Rings. I just waited each year. I wouldn't have any conversations about Lord of the Rings. I just wanted to be kind (laughs) of swept away into the fantasy of it all. But yeah. So, you know, Carl catches the bullet in the eye and it just... At that point, all bets are off. So, you know, Rick going crazy, hacking away at zombies. So this is the part where I started to feel a swelling. Like I'm sitting on the couch talking to a TV show with Michael Ann sitting next to me on the couch, right? And it's when – so Rick, the the main character on the show basically and the the father of the kid who gets shot in the eye, they take the kid to the infirmary. The whole town is full of zombies. He basically – goes out by himself with an axe into a sea of like a thousand zombies where he can't possibly survive just to have a mad, crazy, I'm going to kill as many things as I can. And all these other people are in the safety of houses looking out and they all basically just kind of look at each other and go, we no, got to go. This and is the moment. They feel like it's certain death. But as they, as they like open the doors and go out, other people are watching and they're like, I have to act. I've got to do something. And I was like, because that's what you do. Yeah. And Michael Lynn's like, what's wrong with you? I'm okay. like, I'm, and I'm feeling like, I'm looking around thinking like, you know, am I going to go out? But no, I'm watching a TV show. This my, isn't real. My friend. These are actors who had lunch after they filmed this scene. My friend in Reno, Nevada said that he and his wife were watching the show, screaming at the television and that their dogs were like, what the hell humans? What are you doing? What is this? Yes. It was, that's how I felt. I honestly had my hands clutched in front of my chest while watching. I had my laptop in in my lap lying in bed at, you know, one in the morning last night watching this thing and it ended and I just looked around in the dark. Like now what do I do? I can't sleep. I can't stay now awake. I need to go online and talk to people about The Walking Dead. I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what to do with myself. Oh my gosh. Like, and, and I wonder, like, my question now is like, okay, so where does the story go from here? Do they rebuild this town? Right, like, this is where talk I, to me. This is where I hate the show. Okay. okay. Why? So, well, because the things that we learn about the dead from the very beginning, okay, it is the ultimate, what would you do? Okay. So here are the things that you do and you should have already done. One, I would think that with the amount of time that society has fallen to the walking dead, they would have already learned that zombies walk towards bright lights and fire. Okay. Therefore, large fires or the ability to light large fires would be standard practice for any civilization or village or group that was trying to stay alive. Fair enough. So being able in multiple different ways to light a big signal that would move things in that direction so that you could at the very least escape should have already been the case. Also, those walls being as fragile as they are, there shouldn't have been anything standing tree or structure that could fall on those walls. Okay. At all. Here's there my should thought. also be a ditch on the other side of the wall prior to the wall. 
so that you don't even, it's not like they can come right up against the wall. They're going to go into a ditch first. All of this stuff, it's not like they don't have time. There's nothing else to do. Okay. So hold on. So the ditch on the other <laughs> side of the wall, I get there should be a ditch, right? There yeah, should also 10 be- 10 feet back or something. You know, angry women and men with clubs, clubbing things. There should be all these different no, things. No, you should never walk past a zombie and leave it alive. Okay. It should be the duty of every living person to kill every zombie they encounter. Okay. No, okay. You're, you're hedging on Larsonian lunacy. So let's reel it in. Reel it in. There, the characters of the show that we've been watching have been sure. running for their lives. Yes. The, the group has been broken up. They've been worried about their friends. They haven't had all the time in the world to do the oh, things right, you right, say. Right, 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 right. That said... Um, that said the show every once in a while does do things that make me go, wait a minute, if they know that, then why didn't they know that all along? But I have to suspend my disbelief. It's right. kind of like, you know, I, I mentioned Romeo and Juliet before you don't go see Romeo and Juliet and the whole time sit there and go, this is stupid. These aren't real people. These are actors. You have to suspend your disbelief. So right. You and the it. show isn't about people succeeding. Right. It's about people trying to survive in the midst of a zombie apocalypse that they yeah. don't quite understand. I mean, the show... Almost... I don't think the show would be as good if they always made all the right choices and, and everything worked and exactly. zombies weren't a problem. Exactly. That's where the fantasy of what would I do conflicts with what you're watching. You would be a great manager in the midst of a zombie apocalypse. You'd be really, really good. Come you... with me. I, I, I Believe me, if Michael Ann comes through the door right now, I'm going to sit back and let you open the ammo box and take care of her. <laughs> That's good. I'll, I'll just be sitting here reading botch, you know, CD <laughs> liner notes and, you know, and just let you just hack away. <laughs> I don't I don't want to cut up Michael Ann. <laughs> well, hopefully it won't come to that. Hopefully All right. It that. Well, I hope, yeah. I, you know, I expect that she'll escape with me. We'll go into the mountains. I, I'm, I'm excited about where I live, the loft where I live. I've... I feel very comfortable that it would it would be a great place to be in the midst of a zombie. Yeah, it's apocalypse. temporary, but you got to get out. You got to get out of the the out of the city. Yes, out of the city. You got to go. And I feel like you have to go up. I feel like you have to go up a mountain. Okay, that's my take on that's it. That's it. Top you, top of Alpenthal. Can you survive in the wild? I would have a hard time surviving in the wild because there's a definitive lack of pod tie. <laughs> but you know what? You could be a vegan even. Yeah, it'd absolutely. be harder for you. You'd do a lot of gathering. Yeah, but you can. I'm okay. reading, I've been reading a book on survivalism. <laughs> of course you have, Dave. We got it uh, for Christmas in case we ever had to run for the mountains. Of course you did. Your, your, fa your father gave it to you. No, no. I bought it uh, um, off eBay for my clan. Oh. Great. So she can okay. survive with me. All right. Because it just, because I, I realized that while I know how to do a lot of stuff, like I don't actually know the process for like making fire if you don't have matches. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not easy to or, do, I would assume. You know, other things that. There's just a lot of stuff. Like, what are all the little details? Like, how to find water, how to purify water, how to find shelter, it, make shelter. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What plants do I know for sure I can eat? Right. You know? Right. So, this is the funny stuff or is this the serious <laughs> no, we, stuff? Well, we were talking about Walking Dead. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, but this is funny. Well, because I'm, I mean, I hope that I'm never going to have to use that stuff, right? But when you hear that there could be a 600,000 year earthquake that will devastate everything west of I-5, you realize that there are no services that will be able to help you. I get No that. one's coming to help if the entire west coast is destroyed. You've got to walk out yourself. I live in the industrial area in Seattle. It will liquefy. Everything will liquefy in the case of a major earthquake. It's all going to just be in the water done destroyed it's basically an entire vast neighborhood built on old sawdust and yeah. it's it's over it's going to be over so i think about that no, too. But so so you wake up on top of it now what uh walk east of i-5 yeah 
and then look for any standing Thai restaurant. Good luck getting across that lake. You need to get a boat. Okay, so I <laughs> swim to the east side of I five, look for a Thai restaurant in vain, and then head to the top of Alpha. Okay, Tom. so so your your survivalism plan does include one last meal. One last meal. <laughs> one last meal. Just just pot Thai. That's it. That's okay. what I like. No egg. No. No egg. Excuse me. No egg. There no. are no eggs because there are no more factory farms. So I'll have vegan pad thai and they'll be so thankful to serve it to me. And I'll live just an extra few hours. <sighs> Always with the crazy stuff with Dave Larson. True. But it's it's real. I mean, as real as fake is. Yeah. Forever. And I can't wait for the Yellow. next Walking Dead episode. Yellow forever. Walking <laughs> Dead forever. I honestly can't wait. So, okay. we're We're, we're coming up to the end here. Okay. We're going to, I know you've got a little list of things there and I'm going to ask you to talk about some of those things as we go out, but, um, what other forms of just asinine entertainment that are also important to you, do you consume? House of Cards. Love it. I've watched every episode. Watched a bit of it. Okay. Love it. I should have watched more of it. I just haven't had time. Just started watching Game of Thrones Mm -hmm. and I'm enjoying it. I think. How far are you into it? Season one, episode four. Oh yeah. You got to get further. Okay. Um, Deadpool was one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Haven't seen it yet. I'll be seeing it on Saturday and then doing an episode of The Token Asian about it. Fantastic. Um, Also loved The Revenant. I thought it was riveting and incredible. And um, The Big Short was amazing. Mm -hmm. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I love seeing movies. I love it, love it, love it. But there's no other TV shows? Uh, No, because, you know, I'm watching everything, you know, just... uh, Whenever I can. So, you know, I, I put aside times definitely for The Walking Dead. Greg, have you tried The Venture Brothers? The Venture Brothers? You said that like you don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. Your smile right now can't be seen by listeners, the, but it's, it's, the fri- venture, it's frightening. The Venture Brothers is a source of joy for me that is hard for me to explain to people and to share. Like I... Now, there are many things that are sources of joy for you that I'm not interested in the slightest. And this is, I feel like there might be some stuff in there that you would, that you would like. Can I watch the first episode and see how it goes? Or do I need to watch the first season kind of thing? Like, for example. It does change. It's important to get to understand what the, what the deal is with it. Yep. And I was going to use the example of Breaking Bad that I, you know, obviously saw every episode of Breaking Bad. But the first season, after halfway through the first season, I was like, oh, man, I guess. And then all of a sudden, it just kicked in for me somehow. So I was wondering Imagine if it's like that. Imagine that the world of Johnny Quest was real. Okay. And the world of like super scientists and super villains was real. Okay. And that in order to like manage all this stuff, they created these like massive bureaucracies that controlled the way that this stuff could be handled. So it exists in the real world. Okay. Everything's normal in the world, except there are masked costumed supervillains trying to kill heroes and like super scientists. And it's controlled by, there's a thing called the Guild of Calamitous Intent. And there's a huge rule book and it's the things you're allowed to do to your arch enemy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Within this world, you've got the main character, Dr. Venture. He was a Johnny Quest type kid. Mm-hmm. He had none of the talent or ability of his father. His father's dead. He basically lives on this compound that was built off of the genius of his father, which he has none of. He's a total failure, drug addict with two total loser kids, basically living in this world, except he also has an arch enemy who's trying to kill him all the time. And then every comic, cartoon, and like pop culture reference that you ever loved, if you ever loved any of them, 
basically comes into play in this story over the seasons. And it becomes this complicated web where you actually begin to care about characters. Okay. You've, you've pitched it well. I'd consider watching a few episodes and seeing how it goes. I love it. Okay. And it, it just came back on too. So okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a very fun show. Cool. Um, I like it's fun. fun, but like, I mean, there was a whole episode like a week ago where they used the red ball from the please, please tell me now Duran Duran video. Uh-huh. The actual red ball gets stolen by a supervillain. Okay. And, but he claims he's going to send it back in time and destroy it so that the video never happens and then creates a scenario of what the world will look like if a new romantic movement had never happened. This is interesting. Okay. This is fun. And so there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, that he has, his evil plan has to be stopped. And the guy who stops him is like, I saved the world okay. because he's got the red ball. Got like, it. that's the kind of thing that's just scratching the surface of what they do in this show. All right. <laughs> so, I'll watch some episodes. It's so goofy. I love it. And it's one of those things where I'll be watching it and Michael and I'll just be shaking our head and like, what are you? Why? What is this? <laughs> I'm sure there's many, many <laughs> such moments. There are. Now you, getting off of my garbage, you have a list of things I see. Did we not talk about some of those? Yeah, we didn't talk about some of them. It was was a list of things that, you know, if we were stuck for nothing to say, that has never happened in 25 years of our friendship, (laughs) that, you know, this was going to be the night where we just stared at each other drooling, going, we have no idea what to say to one another. I was going to talk about a few different things. But instead, we had lots to talk about. Well, what what on there would you like to touch on? Like, so let's just say that for some reason, someone who has no idea who you are or what you do, just listen to this episode for the first time to figure you out. Go ahead and talk about some of the things that you do so well, people can. I'm a juggler. Okay. So um, <laughs> I'm co-leading a trip to Rwanda and Uganda in three weeks for high school students with my friend Dave and my friend Veronica. And we're going to explore the history of Rwanda and their genocide and Uganda and their dictatorship and try to understand why it is that Rwanda and Uganda are some of the shining stars of Africa in terms of development. So we're bringing high school students over there with one of our principal questions being, well, one of the principal questions is how does society continue after 800,000 people hack each other to death with machetes? How do you continue in society. So we're going to explore a bunch of restorative justice models. For example, a village that we've heard about that we're going to visit where genocidaires, who are the ones who committed genocide, live in the village with either victims, wounded surviving victims of theirs, or family members of their victims. They live together in this village. It's not prison, but everyone stays. And it's a situation, as far as we can tell, that's like, you know, Good morning, Dave. It's wonderful to see you. I'm so sorry that I hacked Michael Ann to death with a machete, but it's wonderful to see you. Would you like some coffee? So we're, you know, we're going to explore how is that a thing? Okay. The other question we're going to ask is, given that Rwanda and Uganda are developmental shining stars, as I said, in Africa, you know, they're both run. One is run by an absolute dictator and the run, the other is run, you know, in, in Rwanda by Paul Kagame, who is dictator-like. Do we need a dictator after upheaval in order to get us back on track? And that's a very intimidating and very scary question. So we're going to look at those things. So that's under the banner of the Legacy Project. And people can see thelegacyproject.com for more on where we're going to go. We're going to update it and post things and whatnot. So yeah, so that was um, that's coming up. Dave, my friend, and I have run these Legacy Project trips a bunch of times over the years. So we're going to update the website with historical information on the trips we've done. And we're thinking about starting a podcast where we interview people who have either gone on the trips with us or people we've encountered. 
and try to interview them and, you know, use some of the audio and video footage that we've recorded on these trips of people who we've talked to, to kind of put in perspective, how do people survive in places that we've gone, you know, where we explored Nazism in Poland, or we explored apartheid in South Africa. We explored the, the effect of Operation Condor, where the United States tried to put dictatorships in all of South and Latin America, you know, South and Central American countries. Uh, you know, how do you survive when your country has been basically taken over by the United States and a dictator put in place and your family disappeared because you were leftists, you know, or, or dissidents or artists or poets for that matter? How do you survive and how do you continue once the dictatorship goes away and you're walking down the street where your father disappeared? Oh, that's that's interesting. interesting. I mean, especially looking at the field of Republican candidates this year. Okay. Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. So, I mean, the question, the question that we're asking, you know, it's like, you know, do we need that authoritarian crazy figure, that authoritarian strong arm in order to put us in line? It's a fascinating question. So you might come back as a Trump supporter. Very slim chance. Very, very, very slim chance. But there's a chance. No. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. Very slim chance. Okay. So also on the list, um, I, I don't think I talked about this last time because we were deep in contracting, but I've been asked to write the biography of, of Ernest Becker. You mentioned that it might happen. Okay. We were further along than might, but I didn't want to say that. We are in the final stages. Like literally, I'm waiting for the email back that says... A year worth of negotiation has come down to this. Here's the contract that I've already approved of, sign go. So I'm going to spend the next couple of years writing a book on the life of cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker, who talked a lot about uh, death denial and how that affects our psyche. So I'm going to be traveling around talking to his family members, uh, his colleagues. I've already started doing that, like old friends of his, people that he knew over the years, and try to piece together uh, the man's life for a, a biography project. It's going to wrap my head in knots, but I'm pretty excited about it. That's that's exciting. Yeah, and I'm writing. I'm starting to write uh, concepts and ideas for the Between Earth and Sky LP. There's evidently twelve demos for really good songs that the guys have written. They're all Canadian, so they practice in Canada, and I haven't heard any of the songs yet. But they keep telling me. These are the, our best songs and I'm very excited. So I want to put together concepts for, for an album and, and, you know, it's, you know, now that trial has, you know, you know, I don't want to say run its course, but you know, this indefinite hiatus, I don't even know what we're calling it. Or maybe it's just that the band is done. Not sure. We haven't talked about it or anything, but between earth and sky is where my focus is. And I'm really excited about that because, you know, hardcore is awesome and i love it and i love the expression that comes from listeners to listeners all the dynamics involved just makes me very happy and excited so i'm just so glad that we've got this lp project coming along so those are a couple things on the list you know i also really want to write about trial i, I want to I meaning the ideas in it and the experiences that i had which are very potent so i've been wanting to write a book about are these our lives and like kind of go line by line and why was the album written? And so it's not just like, oh, I'm self-important enough that I'm going to write a book about myself. More like, I want to write about why each line was written then and what's the application to the idea now and kind of make it like yeah. relevant to now so that readers don't just go, oh, I learned about trial. Who gives a crap? But rather like, oh, I learned about the world and maybe a new perspective on the world by way of lyrics screamed by miscreant crazy people all around the planet. So yeah, that's those are things I'm working on and thinking about. Fantastic, man. Dude, I'm so proud of you for your podcast. I love your podcast. I do. I'm excited about it. I'm excited that what started out is just I want to talk to my friends who I've known for a long time. And the idea of like, I've known you too long is a cool idea. What started out as that is still that? Is still that. <laughs> and it's more because, you know, people have said to me things like, 
you know, I learned so much about the history of dot, dot, dot Pacific Northwest, the history of hardcore, the history of these emo bands or the history of this whole genre of music. And, you know, it's pretty remarkable. I think it's just really cool that you've stuck to it and done it all year long. I'm just excited about it. Well, thank you. I'm getting a lot out of it. And I hope that that's my thing is that like, since I know a lot of that history, sometimes I hear new things that I don't know about. I'm always interested in what about those people's lives and where the common experiences are. So I always hope that's what people will find interesting, but I think that's just what I'm finding interesting. But well, it's still, it's great. Who's, who's somebody that you want to have on the podcast who you've not had yet. I, you know, at one point it was John and John Pettibone has been mm-hmm. on the podcast. So who would you want to have on that you haven't gotten on yet? And, and in talking about that person right now, whoever it might be, do what, I have to name them? So they're embarrassed. You don't have to name them, but I, my thought was that in talking about them, we would kind of gently pressure them to come on your podcast. So yes, name them. Uh, John White. Why hasn't John White been on your podcast? No, we've talked about it. We just haven't been able to get it together. Okay. That's a real cop-out because okay. it's like literally going okay, to He's happen. ready to say yes. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. I hope he does. It'd uh, be great to listen Derek to. Derek Harn. Has, why hasn't Derek Harn done your podcast? <laughs> I don't know. He's involved with the website. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> these are but, easy. But he hasn't these done are, the podcast, though. These are proverbial low-hanging but, fruit. Okay. So here's you know, the problem, though. Pick. Here's the problem, though. These are all people I know. Okay. So it's not like I really wish I could get. I mean, if I'm if we're talking about like who who would be a dream get who I did meet within that in that time frame, but would be I mean someone like Ian Mackay. Okay. And I I wouldn't ask about like when you when you loan someone a pen, you should hold on to the cap so you get it back or like any of the stuff that you hear. <laughs> like I'd want to know about like like grade school. I'd yeah. want all the same shit I want to know about. You know, right? That would be phenomenal. When's that? Gonna, you know, how's that ever gonna happen? It'd be tricky, but I mean, he might, he might do it if he can. Oh, how about this? How about just a knockdown drag out combination background and political fight with Dave Smalley? That why would, okay. I do. Are the parameters of your Someone who might be able to beat the shit out of me. Okay. With political theory. Yeah. Are the, and that's my question. Are the parameters of your podcast that it has to be recorded here? No, I can go on the road. You go on the road. I, I bet Smalley would do it. I bet he would do it. I don't know him. That can be arranged. I think it'd be really cool to have I didn't Dave meet him. So it would be, I haven't known you too long forever. <laughs> I can make, you know, when you listen to someone that much when you're a teenager, maybe that counts. I don't know. Okay. So, so that's, that's the goal. Let's get Dave Smalley on your podcast and then come up with a dream list and start talking about it more. I so feel like can... that would have to be a different, a whole different podcast though, because okay. that, that, that could have the opportunity to get a little bit heated. We don't okay. do. I don't do a lot of contradicting people on here. Okay. That's not really what it's about. Yeah. You know? I haven't liked you too long. <laughs> <laughs> you built, so so originally it was going to be, you thought my next podcast would be, let me massage you. <laughs> ah, I'm still waiting for <laughs> still it. Waiting that's why that I showed up here from, tonight. You thought. Just talking for an hour and 20 minutes is bullshit. I'm waiting for the <laughs> massage. Let me massage you with that's, Dave Larson. Still, yes. Well, I, yeah, I, don't, I think it was you were going to do it. Oh, you were going to do the podcast. I was going to do the po- So I was going to be massaging you. But oh, this is uncomfortable. Says the guy with the gun and the knife <laughs> to his just, right and left. Well, you did see a knife, but you didn't see a gun. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You mentioned, you mentioned that the, the, the there's somewhere a safe. packed away. There is a very safe and not used, you know, it's not like I am a gun guy. I'm not carrying no, a I'm, gun. I'm not open carry guy. Okay. But no, I, there, there's been some talk with some people about starting a political conversation podcast. Well, wow. and I really want to do it. Yeah, you'd be good at it. Um thank you. I kind of want like someone else to be like the main driving force behind it and then just be involved in it. Mm. 
I think I want, you'd be good at it. I think you should be. The, I think you should be the main driving force. I think you'd be really good at it. How many podcasts am I going to do? This one and that one. Two. Well, you don't want me to do the token Asian anymore. No, but I do want you to <laughs> let me massage you. <laughs> Have you? Are, you? You're aware that we're recording our eighth episode I know, of the Token Asian. I know. Does it, listen, have you have you spent any time with it, Craig? I've spent precious little time with it. Oh. <laughs> do you don't like the premise? It's fantastic. <laughs> you're lying. <laughs> I'm just dreaming of let me massage you. That's all I can think no, about okay. right now. Okay, because I was going to ask if you'd like to be a guest one day with me and Matt. I would with, do it. I'm sorry, with Matt and I. With with Matt and me, with Matt okay. and me. Um, yes, I would I would be a guest on the Token Asian. I'm terrified of the prospect, but since you've challenged me in this public forum, yes, you've thrown down the gauntlet. We're gonna have to do it pretty soon, then. Okay. Well, wait. You loved Deadpool. I loved it. What are you doing Saturday? We're gonna go watch it. We're gonna have a whole episode about it. You want to come? I might do that. You want to come discuss yes. Deadpool with me and Matt? I think that's a great idea. All right, just be ready for us to talk about a hundred other things at the same time. I'm not surprised. All right, cool. Okay. <laughs> Greg, thanks for coming out, brother. Thanks so much, I man. Appreciate I loved it. it. Appreciate Love it. it. Love you, buddy. Okay. <laughs> we went some places with that one. I hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, I thought that was a great way to cap off year one. Always enjoy having Greg around. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to be hearing more from Greg. This will hopefully become a bit of a regular thing. Uh, Maybe, you know, once or twice a year have him check in, update us, because he always has, as you can tell if you listen today, he always has a lot going on. Um, A couple of corrections we gotta do. I could not remember the name of the creator of The Walking Dead, which is dumb. It's Robert Kirkman. I think I said Robert when we were in there, but I just, it wouldn't come right off the top of my head. But yes, Robert Kirkman is the creator of the comic series The Walking Dead and therefore is the creator of the television show, The Walking Dead. And he is directly involved with the show. So, there is that. Uh, When we were talking about recess appointments, and I could not come up with the example, and Greg asked if I was jumping back to the 1800s for the example. No. I could not remember the exact details, and I didn't want to... I talked enough out my ass as it is. So, here's what it was. Justice William Brennan. With the Senate out of session in October of 1956... He was recess appointed by Dwight Eisenhower weeks before the election of that year. He nominated him to a full term and the Senate actually confirmed him the following year. So this was a guy who did get a recess appointment and who who was confirmed. This can happen. However, all of this is a moot point now because the Senate has come back into session since we recorded and Obama did not make a recess appointment and they have stated they will not have hearings on his nominee. So where we sit right now in this first week of the Senate back in, they aren't going to consider it. These are the people we're dealing with in our government. Now, if the shoe was on the other foot, if there was one year left in Republican president's term and it was a Democrat-controlled Senate, they'd be being hypocrites by not having his nominee. And I'll tell you right now, if years from now, someone who listens to this podcast hears me making the point that I don't think that a Republican president, if we ever have one again, should be allowed to nominate a Supreme Court justice with one year left in their term. Come back, grab my words, and shove them down my throat. Okay, well, that's, and that's it for politics. I just did this whole thing, this rant. I may cut it out and you won't even hear it. Anyway, so those are the, uh, the only corrections that we had to do. Uh, at the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned the pin set, the first year anniversary pin sets that I made. 
Those are up in the store right now. They may be there for a long time if no one cares, or they may just be gone. So whenever it is that you're hearing this, go to the store and see if they're up. And if they are, maybe send me five bucks and I'll send you a pin set in the mail. There's also other stuff in the store. We talked about my movie on this podcast. There's copies of the DVD of the movie in there. Some of the music made by some of the other people that have been involved in the podcast. And one of these days, we'll do like t-shirts and stuff. Probably more like I'll make t-shirts because I want one and then I'll make a couple extras and put them in the store and see if anyone cares. Okay, so I'm just going to go out with this. This episode, like basically all of our episodes, brought to you by Black Crown Car Service. Black Crown Car. Go to www.blackcrowncar.com. Download the app for your mobile device. Use these guys if you need a ride in the Seattle area. I know Soto, the owner, he's got some more stuff up his sleeve. Some more stuff coming. He's a real mover and shaker, that guy. But in the meantime, if you need a ride, use the app, Black Round Car. They'll take you where you need to go. You need to ride to work. You need to ride to the airport. Whatever it is you need. You just need to get around. Be safe on a weekend night when you're getting crazy. Use Black Crown. They've supported us. We support them. All right. I'll see you guys next time. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris.